Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to the Gluten-Free Voice with Jules Shepard. I am Jules and I am pleased to be here tonight in our first of a series of Thanksgiving radio shows to talk about wine pairings and whether or not there should be a concern about gluten in wines when you're planning your Thanksgiving table. So I'm really pleased to welcome winemaker Bob Spencer from Meritage Meadows in Redmond, Washington. And Bob, thank you for calling in for the show. I really appreciate you taking time to talk with us and to share your expertise. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, and Bob and I, um, I actually have the pleasure of getting to go out and and be at Meritage Meadows next month. I'm going to be teaching a Thanksgiving gluten-free style class out there at Meritage, and I am excited to finally get to meet you because you've been doing a lot of gluten-free cooking out there at the B&B and working with a lot of people with other food sensitivities, and I'm really excited to do this class with you. And I'm, we're really excited to have Jules come out and, and do the class. I know that there are a lot of people here on the West Coast who uh, deal with this problem every day and, and look to Jules for some real guidance and inspiration on how to make this work well for them. Well, we're going to have a good time because we're going to do all kinds of yummy Thanksgiving foods, um, all gluten-free, obviously, and no one would ever be the wiser if they didn't have to worry about it themselves. So the idea being everyone at the table can eat the same foods, and I'm excited to be able to do that with you. But I'm also very excited to talk to you about the wines that you're going to be sharing um, information on and some tastings about the Washington wines while we're out there. And I guess you've been in the winemaking, I guess, hobby slash business for several years now. You've been making wine for about 10 years, is that right? Uh, actually closer to 15 now. Oh, my goodness, and, wow. Um, but all privately, uh, other than volunteer work that I do with the wineries in our area, we're within 10 miles of 90 tasting rooms. And wow. so I've had lots of opportunity to uh, talk with different winemakers through that effort. This year, for the first time, we're making commercial wines. We were approved by the federal government to go ahead and start that. So we've, we're stepping up about tenfold in the amount of wine that we make, and it'll be made under the name Union Hill Winery um, here in Woodenville. Great. Well, folks can look for that. And what what uh, what types of wines are you going to be introducing under that label? At least this year, we'll we'll be working on uh, the usual Bordeaux style wines, Cabernet and Merlot, uh, some Rhone style wines with uh, Syrah and Grenache, and then two or three whites every year. At least uh, for this first year, we're making a Sauvignon Blanc and uh, Riesling. A dry Riesling. Wow, um, that several present. several of those are piquing my interest. So I'm very excited to be out there to do some tasting. So that's great. Well, I um, I asked you to come on because I wanted to talk about you know wines at Thanksgiving for sure. But backing up a little bit, there's been a lot of controversy recently. A lot of people actually even on my Jules Gluten Free Facebook page asking lots of questions about wine. And, and just like with anything else in gluten-free, there are myths, there are legends, there are rights and wrongs. And um, I would really love to hear from an expert 
in winemaking about, you know, is it something that people who are living gluten-free should be worried about? Should we worry that there's gluten somehow in our wines? I know there's people have been saying that it's been used in the clarification or the fining process, that it's been used to seal barrels, and other things, you know, that I've heard that may or may not still be true. And and the winemaking industry is, is one that has changed very little from my understanding over the years. And so I'm wondering if some of these things are still concerns that we living gluten-free should have in the back of our minds as we're selecting wines for Thanksgiving or otherwise. I think that there are a number of um, concerns present, and people have talked to me about it as well. Um, So kind of start, let's start at the beginning. There's nothing Mm -hmm. inherent in the grapes that would bring gluten into the wine. Um, So, I mean, even if they grew the grapes in a field next to uh, where they were growing wheat, um, the grapes are uh, washed naturally and there's nothing in the grapes that is going to promote gluten staying in that. So as as we start with just the grapes and making a wine, there's, I think we can safely say there's no gluten present there. Sounds when good. We, when we start making the wine, then what the winemaker gets to add is yeast and some nutrients for the yeast. And so I did a lot of studies that determined whether there was any potential source of gluten in the in the yeast. The answer is no, or in okay. the... Um, uh, nutrients that we add for the yeast, and and since that's primarily trying to get some additional um, inorganic components into the to the solution, because wine is so fundamentally organic, you need to get a little additional nitrogen and potassium into the to the uh, must as it starts to ferment, mm-hmm. um, and we do that with some. Uh, some additions. Uh, the most common one in use today is um, one called Fermade, uh, fermentation aid. Um, yeah, and, simple. Um, yeah, cleverly named there. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that doesn't. Uh, I've checked with the manufacturer there, and they guarantee they certify that as gluten free. So um, I don't believe we're adding anything there. As the sugars in the must are converted into alcohol to create the uh, the wine, um, there's still a lot of steps that we have to go through to um, to finish the wine. And the the usual one in, in whites has to do with just uh, separating out the uh, wine now from the any residual materials that might be there, mostly the, the pressings of the grapes, the skins, and that sort of stuff that are that might be resident still in that must. By usually that's done by allowing them to settle out of solution, and that's where we end up with this question about fining agents. Fining agents are uh, used basically to stick the little tiny pieces of um, tartar, tannin, uh, and other residu- residual materials that are in the wine together and allow them to precipitate out of solution or to be filtered out of solution. And looking at what's in use today. Um, there, there really is no source of gluten in any of those. There, I think historically you could go back and find uh, that someone was using a wheat-based product, but to, to any t- of today's winemakers, they would not. They'd be using um, any of a number of trade products that are mostly inorganic, 
and then um, potentially egg whites, although that's really antiquated and, and isn't done by commercial wine producers. So no no gluten source there. Really, that's interesting because so, oh. I, I was under the impression that a lot of winemakers were still using egg whites in the clarification or the fining process. Yeah, most are now using other products called Sparkaloid. Um, there's, a, there's a few out there. Let me see if I can pull that out. Claro and Sparkaloid are, the, are like 99% of the market, and they are inorganic um, mixtures. They also, in California, many of the winemakers there use bentonite, which is 100% mm-hmm. inorganic. It's an aluminum silicate um, that's added. Um, basically, uh, you know, the science says you can use any any protein, um, and it will tend to, because of its charge, uh, collect the other product particles that are in the wine. Sure. Uh, but but winemakers at a commercial layer level. So if you're out buying wine at the grocery store or at your favorite wine merchant, uh, chances are they're going to be using one of these products, Claro, KC, or Sparkaloid, um, for that process. And no okay. In, in either one. So okay, it's all sounding wine, good so far. Yeah, in a white wine, if we then do all of our processing for that wine in stainless steel, which is typical uh, in most cases, I'll cover a couple of exceptions later on here, um, then then that's gonna uh, have no additional gluten added. And we didn't start with any, so we should come out with a gluten-free wine at the back end, um, and. Wines typical of that category would be like dry Riesling um, or some Sauvignon Blancs. And it would be important to look at the label then and and determine whether the Sauvignon Blanc was done in the New Zealand style, which is all stainless, or in the California style, which can include neutral barrels. Okay. Um, other wines, and like would Chardonnays be in the same Chardonnay. category? I think we talk about oaked Chardonnays yeah. and the like. So I Chardonnay think of Chardonnays is... as being largely oaked, but I know there are some that are stainless steel aged. Absolutely, and because that's rapidly becoming the standard in the Napa Valley. Um, the, more and more of the shards are, are done without any oak, uh, and, and it brings out more of that uh, natural fruit, the apple and pear notes that are so characteristically mm-hmm. rich in a Chardonnay. Um, so I think if you look on the label, you can easily determine whether the wine, either Sauvignon Blanc or Chardonnay, was was aged at all in oak. Um, and with the Sauv Blancs, if it is, it's probably a barrel that's been used um, several times before, what we call a neutral barrel, so that okay. they're getting a little bit of micro-oxygenation, not the oak flavor out of it. So, Got it. so fairly okay. good bets there. If you look at the label and it says it was aged in stainless, then then you're in good shape on the white wines, and those would be the big three. And getting just jumping ahead to your question about wine pairings, I personally think Riesling is one of the great wine pairings for turkey and the, and the okay. sort of things that people normally put together for a, a Thanksgiving dinner. Um, so good choices there. Um Back to winemaking again here. The next step in a red wine, though, is to go into an oak barrel after we press the uh, wine off the skins. And those barrels can have um, some gluten in them. Let me explain how it gets there because the amount that's possibly there is, is very small. Okay. In making the barrel, they, they uh, put the, the 
cylindrical, basically a cylindrical part of the barrel together. It's, it's oak. It's held together by steel hoops. And then they toast the inside of the barrel, which is put it over an oak fire and actually not quite light it on fire, but but uh, toast it to a nice dark brown color on the inside um, because that gives better flavor to the wine than, than sure. raw oak. In fact, raw oak is a, not a desirable flavor in, in the in the wine. Right. And, they, and let me just back up really quickly. Yep. This would be for French um, oak or for American oak or anything. They're, they treat them all the same in the barrel making. They all get toasted and they all are formed the same way? Great question. Yeah, in fact, uh, oh, well, they're all made in the same process and by the the same people, just different wood sources. So okay. if the oak comes from France, it's French oak, and from Hungary or Czechoslovakia, now there's more Canadian oak available, and of course, American oak barrels are becoming more popular as well. Uh, so any of those, they're ba- basically made the same way. You make this cylindrical portion, and then you have a flat, um, also oak, head that is uh, going to be lodged in the ends of the cylinder to com- close the barrel. And in that process, the the whole cylinder is built up and toasted, and then they want to insert this head. They use a wheat-based paste to lubricate that process and to fill any potential voids that might be there. So we now have gluten in the process. First thing they do after they install the head is to wash the inside of the barrel at 180-degree water for about 30 minutes. So pretty much any wheat that was there is going to be solubilized and then will come out of the barrel. But there's always a chance that there's a trace amount of gluten left in the barrel. The first thing that I do when I get the barrel is I wash it again for about 30 minutes Mm -hmm. with hot water because what we're trying to do is keep the wood swelled, which keeps the barrel tight. Obviously, none of us wants a leaky barrel out there on the line. No. Yeah, that would be bad. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, and, Maybe others will cup (laughs) holding it under the barrel. There you go. (laughs) The upside down beefing, right? So so there's quite a bit of washing, there's quite a bit of dilution, but there's Mm -hmm. a chance that there could still be some gluten present. And now we're going to put the wine in it, and of course whatever we put in there will will take on whatever gluten is left. Well, just to, I guess, get a little bit more information about that, the lubrication that you're talking about. When you're inserting the heads, there's two heads, one at the top, one at the bottom, and the heads are inserted by coating the edges, I'm assuming, with this wheat-based paste that helps to lubricate it as it slides into the barrel. And then once it's fixed, then they begin the washing process, which would um, theoretically wash most, if not all, of the wheat paste away but the the touch points would then just be on either end of the barrel. It's not the entire inside of the barrel that's coated with the wheat paste, or am I jumping too yeah, far ahead? In fact, it's, it's a very narrow strip around the very end of the staves, a quarter of an inch mm-hmm. wide, uh, not on the head, actually, but on the barrel itself, where they put okay. a little bit of this paste in, in. There's like a groove there that the barrel drops into when it's in place. Okay. And... So as the head is swinging into place, it's there, there's no paste on the head until it actually drops into that groove, and then the paste is displaced on the inside and on the outside of the head. 
and okay. it's immediately washed away. So, um, you know, the, it, there's no, it's not spread over the whole surface. It's not spread over the whole surface of the head even, just in that one groove, and then where it's displaced by the head moving into position, it is uh, then very quickly washed away. Mm-hmm. Okay. And is this the method by which all oak barrels are made? To your knowledge, I guess you I, I talked to, to my two suppliers soon. today. Okay. <laughs> and they tell me that all barrels are made this way. Uh, mm-hmm. Of course, I think all they can really speak to is their own production. Mm-hmm. Um, and now there is a competitive product called Enoplastic that can be used in place of that. It's only become available in the last couple of years, and I'm not sure that winemakers have yet got the word that there's an alternate that can ask for when they buy their barrels. Um, so and that's, you know, there is an alternate. An alternate and, it's an alternate to the wheat paste or an alternate yes. to something? Okay. Yeah, okay. an alternate to the wheat paste so that there would no there would be no gluten present anywhere at any time in the process. Okay. Um, Tell me how how many gallons does one of these wine barrels hold? Well, it's, that's a that's a great question because I think that enters into the equation. Um, okay. a, a typical barrel is sixty gallons of wine. Um, many people now, for some particular varietals like Syrah, are going to even larger barrels, two hundred and forty gallons per barrel, um, and the surface area that's initially coated with that paste is not a lot bigger. So um, the you know the chance that you're going to have more than a, a milligram or two of uh, flour remaining in the barrel uh, when you install that, that 60 gallons of wine or, or, or rack in the 60 gallons of wine uh, is low. And so, you know, the dilution factor here is pretty large, but I don't yeah, think sure. anybody's going to jump on it and say, well, no gluten at all because there's a chance that there is a, uh, some there. Okay. Well, that's um, that's really interesting, though, to hear about it in terms of proportions and to think about, you know, especially in the context of, you know, the FDA's um, proposal that less than 20 parts per million of gluten would qualify under that proposal as gluten-free, when that is analyzed, it actually boils down to something like 10 milligrams of gluten. So you're talking about something that's probably, when you factor in the dilution factor, far less than what would qualify under the FDA's proposals. Which is, yep. just to put it in perspective, nobody likes, yeah, nobody likes to hear that whatever they're eating or drinking might have come in contact with gluten, but. Um, Definitely to put some perspective on it in terms of you know real numbers and what that actually means to um, someone consuming a glass of wine. Um, I think it's really interesting to hear about you know the the amount that's actually in the barrel and the amount that could possibly be touching the washed out portion of the barrel does you know give me a little bit more um, comfort <laughs> thinking about you know what the contamination potentials are. And in terms of red wines, they're all aged in these oaks, correct? Oh boy, all is a really strong term. But, uh, no, yeah, any wine that you're going to buy commercially, red wine, has is, is been in an oak barrel. Some okay, wine, and you mentioned, oh, I'm sorry, you, you mentioned earlier yeah. about neutral oaks. 
Now, let's say that, and I know I'm familiar with some of the California wineries that are using, you know, brand new French oak barrels, which would, under your explanation for, you know, this process, those would, I would, would think, would have the greater likelihood of having any um, residual glutens with that paste. A neutral barrel or one that has been used many times before, they don't reseal it with more wheat paste, or do they? No, they don't, and uh, and the barrel is simply washed several more times in the process so that the chance that there's any measurable gluten is going down with each use of the barrel. Um, and some varieties are less likely to be in new oak than others. So I think that is worth, worth talking through. Uh, a Cabernet Sauvignon or Cabernet Franc or Merlot it is almost always aged in new oak. So we're going to get a real strong oak flavor and vanilla flavor uh, to augment the fruit and, and other flavors that are present in those wines. But a wine a varietal like a Syrah, some of the Rhone varietals, uh, Grenache, Morvedre, um, those are more likely going to be aged in neutral oak, which will be barrels that hmm. were used three times or more prior to the, the that wine going into the barrel. Uh, okay. I know we do all of our Syrah and Grenache in neutral oak. Um, nice. And and the reason for that is that's not a flavor that I really want to add to the to the Syrah. Syrah tends to have um, a lovely fruit uh, note and a nice mid palate without adding any uh, additional uh, oak to it. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's a winemaker's preference, but uh, frequently you're going to find that those those varietals, Grenache, Syrah, Morvedre, are not going to have the uh, the strong oak. A Pinot okay. Noir, um, mm-hmm. another fine pairing for Thanksgiving uh, type meals, is um, going to be aged partially in new oak and partially in neutral oak, and generally that's done in a proportion to kind of manage the oak. Uh, flavors that are present in the wine down a little bit. So if you were to get, say, a Central California Coast Pinot or uh, an Oregon Pinot, I think you'd find that that by the same uh, sort of dilution process, they're going to be less likely to have any gluten present than, say, a Cab or Merlot. Okay. Wow, that's really interesting. So in terms of, of Thanksgiving pairings and then also trying to think about the wines that would perhaps um, have no or less contact ever with gluten, you would be saying for Thanksgiving you would be rec- recommending like a dry Riesling, which would most likely not have had any contact with an oak barrel. Is that correct? That's correct. And then... Another, um, I'm sorry, go ahead. So another uh, thing to, to think about was Pinot Noir, which is a, a right. very delicate, delicate red wine. In the wine. red family, and, yeah. Yeah, and a, and a nice red wine to pair with... Uh, uh, Turkey or ham, um, any any of the lighter textured, not big big meat uh, like a, a rib roast. If you were going to do that, you might want to try something different. But uh, okay. certainly for many of the lighter meats that were, are typical for Thanksgiving, um, the pinot. And what about best. what about with pumpkin pie? What would you pair with pumpkin pie? <sighs> well, <laughs> I'd like champagne myself. Oh yeah, um, I okay. It's a great pairing for uh pumpkin pie. Um especially uh not so dry like a demi sec 
or uh, not, not so not the brute, which has been pushed to a much drier state, but uh, a little bit sweeter champagne, I think, is a great accompaniment with your uh, pumpkin pie. Uh, and it does roll with the nutmeg, too. So. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, oh. And that's an all-stainless uh, process as well. So you're not going to find uh, oak exposure at all in the champagnes. You knew my next question. <laughs> that's great. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Wow, that's and that's really interesting. Yeah, please. Uh, everybody thinks about uh, blush wines or rosés as that mm-hmm. uh, white Zinfandel that, um, well, some of the older members of your of your audience might think of as as uh, a red wine, a blush wine. Mm-hmm. But today, most many wineries are making uh, more traditional rosé d'Anjou and and other rosés that are just delicious and can be a, a great accompaniment. Just a little bit more uh, fruit and complexity than you're going to expect out of a white wine, but still light bodied and a great accompaniment, to, especially for something like a ham. Um, and so uh, if you can find a good Washington or California rosé, they're typically done all in stainless. And so, again, we're going to be staying away from any potential for gluten contamination. Okay. Wow, that's great. Well, let's say someone goes to the wine store and they're looking for what to get and um, maybe they, they didn't want to get a Riesling, which was a pretty safe bet, um, or they couldn't find a Pinot that they were certain of. Can they just pick up the phone and call the winemaker, or how how would you suggest that they call to find out what the processing is and to be certain that there is no issue with finding um, the wines with a gluten protein as opposed to something else, although it's highly unlikely? Um, what would be what would you recommend um, for people to get more information about the wines to feel confident before they make a purchase for their family for a, a meal like Thanksgiving or or even just an everyday drinking wine? Well, I think uh, many of the the winemakers would would love to talk about this um, mm-hmm. because uh, I talked to about three or four of them here in Woodenville today and and found uh, you know that they were aware of the subject matter. They were you know sure that their finding agents have no uh, no gluten in them and that they're they're using an inorganic fine finding agent. Um, so, you know, they they're knowledgeable enough to answer the question. They also are going to know whether the wine aged at all in oak. That'll be uh, a central concern for them all the way through the process. And so they'll be able to answer those questions. And knowledgeable sommelier in a good wine store should also know that information. Uh, okay. Maybe not so much about the fining, but certainly about whether it's aged in stainless or aged in oak. And so I think the starting place is just to ask that question at the wine store or, uh, you know, many uh, grocery stores that have a good selection of wine now uh, also have somebody who's knowledgeable about the wines available. You just have to find out who it is and go ask for them. Mm -hmm. So I would say ask questions first and don't be surprised later. Okay. And in my research, just preparing for our interview today, I stumbled across a really interesting website that will, I think, be helpful for our vegan friends in particular. It's called barnivore.com. Have you heard of it? No, I haven't. That's great. It's, so yeah, it's barn, like in the barn? Barn, like in the barn, B-A-R-N-I-V-O-R-E.com. And it lists vegan-friendly wineries and, um, around the world. And what's really interesting is you can click on a particular winery and then it gives you their 
research that they have done in contacting the wineries for you. And so some wineries may have some vegan-friendly wines, meaning that they didn't use egg as finding agents, um, and others may have, you know, all of them are vegan-friendly, or some might ha- have none. And, of course, not all the wineries are listed. But they have a pretty good list of American wines, for example. And if you're looking for biodynamic wines, I think they have some information about that, too. So just an interesting resource to know about for people to look up if they're interested in the other finding agents as well, um, if they're wanting to stay away from animal you know, byproducts because some other finding agents are gelatin or, you know, fish bladders and other kinds of, you know, things that may not appeal to everyone in terms of what's touching their wines. So just something else to look at. But, you know, I, I can't tell you enough how um, how thankful I am that you were able to come on tonight and answer some of these questions. I think you've really brought some some clarity or finding to speak to to this issue. Um, you know, it's it's interesting to hear someone on the inside talk about you know, what what's really how you make wine and what all the different stages are in the process of making wine. And I think hopefully this has brought some level of comfort to some folks who are looking to add wine to their Thanksgiving table. And I'm looking forward to sharing a glass of wine with you at, at our Thanksgiving table out in um, at Meritage Meadows in just a couple weeks. So we uh, we got to start getting ready for that. <laughs> we I really thank you for the opportunity to to talk to your audience as well. I think that uh, they struggle with this every day, and and uh, I get to deal with it whenever I get a guest in who uh, who has that issue. So I'm I'm happy to learn, and and this was a, a good learning experience for me. But thank you for considering us in uh, in your show. Oh, absolutely, and I look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks, and I apologize to the callers who were in queue. Hopefully we were able to answer a lot of your questions um, proactively, but otherwise you can always um, contact Bob at Meritage Meadows, and you can also um, email me or post a question on Facebook anytime. Thanks again, and I will be seeing you soon. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> 